Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinmurn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast, where we deep dive into the passion projects of the best athletes, executives, and entrepreneurs every week. On today's show, I'll sit down with Brandon Schneider, president and COO of the Golden State Warriors, four-time champion, well, four-time recent champion Golden State Warriors, dynasty of dynasties, possibly the world's greatest sports franchise. Is that a good intro? <laughs> uh, you you said it all, not me. Um, no, look, Nick, thanks for having me on. Uh, you, I'm glad you corrected yourself because we're seven-time champions, but four in the last eight years. Um, yeah, and, and as you said, Brandon Schneider, and uh, excited. When you read, when you say um, President and CEO of the Golden State Warriors, it still makes me smile because I feel like I've got the best job in the world. I've, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, lived in LA for four years at UCLA, but have lived in the Bay Area, been a Warriors fan my whole life and have worked for the team. It was my first job out of college. So I've been with the Warriors next month will be 20 years. Um, and I've been in, in the, in my current job for just over a year um, and feel, I'm, I may be a little biased, but I feel like I've got the best job in the world. <laughs> I may be a little biased too, but I think you've got the best job in the world. The, um, well, don't come, don't come for my job, Nick. Come on. <laughs> the one job, 20 years. I mean, I, we met when, when I first met you, you were in, where you might, you were in ticket sales, right? I mean, a long, a long time ago. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I met you, I think it was probably, I'm going to guess 12, 13, 14 years ago. And I was in ticket sales, some sort of management role, but I don't know if you remember this, the way I met you, you had seats in the first row behind the floor. And I'm always running around at the games, seeing people. And then while the game is going on, like you find an empty seat, like on an aisle, or in your case, like your row, I could get to without disturbing people. And what I realized, like over a short period of time, like there's like multiple games in a, like in a row or four or five games where I was sitting like right next to you. And I realized like, I should probably introduce myself to this guy. And so I just kind of said, hello, Hey, Brandon Schneider, like, sorry, I'm always like taking the empty seat next to you, but here's why. That's, I don't know if you remember that, but that's, that's how, right. we, that's how we met. And then, um, you know, obviously I've gotten to know each other, uh, very well over the last, whatever it is, 12, 14 years. No, I remember that. Well, I mean, I think one, there was a lot more empty seats back then, not too many, but there was still more empty seats, especially late in a game or during a game. Um, I mean, this is pre, this is in the two thousands, right? Not the, not even 2010. And I remember, I mean, I'll always remember that because for me, I had, I was new I was, I had kind of worked my way up to being down there. You know, I was, uh, I mean, I was a kid, I was in the last row of the upper deck when, or it was only one deck at that point. I was the last row standing up in front of the curtains and then got down to, uh, the lower level. And then during the, we believe playoffs just, you know, lost my mind with excitement and got a ticket down there in those first couple of rows and was like, I, you know, once you do it, it's hard to, it's hard to undo it, you know? So that was, um, yeah, it was such exciting times. And, uh, and awesome. So, so let's do a quick background. So your first job out of college uh, with the Warriors, what did you start off doing? So I started here August 26th of 2002, but who's counting? And my title was ticket sales, uh, season ticket account executive. What that means is, and I was one of, I think at the time, seven people that was basically making cold calls. And, and at that time, the list they gave me when I first started, there was a USA China um, exhibition at Oracle Arena at the time, the Coliseum Arena, and okay, we, we weren't Oracle Arena yet back then. <clears throat> and so I'm calling people that went to this one exhibition game, trying to talk to them about Warriors ticket packages. But that was my job was was cold calling people that had been to games or businesses, introducing myself, making sure people had a good time, and talking to them about do you want to go to more games, and ultimately, you know, trying to grow our season ticket base um, and people, you know, to buy like ten game packages and things like that. So that. That was my first job when I started here uh, back 20 years ago. Nice. And just to erase the perception that that Warriors fans have appeared out of nowhere, even when the team was not winning, there was a rabid fan base. 
hundred percent. Um, we are, we're so fortunate here in the Bay area to have an incredible following with the Warriors. I mean, you know, to your point, some would argue, you know, as good as the team's been six finals in the last eight years, you know, that you'd expect to have the support, which I, I would agree with. Although, you know, the first year at Chase Center in 1920, um, you know, Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson, was, what's that? 2020. Yeah. Um, well, t- yeah, t- t- oh, 2019, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all confusing because the NBA season, you know, yeah, yeah. rattles oh, yeah. two calendar years, but, but we knew Clay was out for the year that was, you know, coming off the finals when he, when he, um, tore his ACL in game six, uh, against Toronto. So we knew he was going to be out either for the year or until the very end. And Steph Curry, second home game ever at Chase Center. First home game, we lost to the Clippers. Second home game, Aaron Baines falls on him and he breaks his hand. So we go through that season 15 and 50. Would have been worse, but uh, uh, COVID shortened the season, right? Um, But I mean, we were 15 and 50 that year. We had the worst record in the NBA and every game still sells out, right? We still had, I mean, you know, you knew pretty quick we weren't going to be very good, um, but the fans still were there. And to your point, like, Back when I started, like you had people come into games, you had people interested in the team. Not, you know, we weren't selling out every game like, like you have now, you know, 435 sellouts in a row at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with your premise that, you know, that, that, that Dub Nation has been supporting through thick and thin. What allowed you to stay there so long? Like what allowed you to survive an ownership change, um, advance, uh, stay focused, not, you know, while a lot of, a lot of your coworkers have, have uh, you know, moved on and, in various capacities. Like, what do you think it was about you and the Warriors that was such a great fit? Well, when you can't find another job, um, you have no choice but to stay. So no one else would hire me. So it's like, you know, was there a point where you were actively, you were at the Warriors, but actively like interviewing or looking (laughs) for other? No. uh, You know, it's funny you ask that. People think, think it's crazy. You know, this day and age, staying at a job for 20 years doesn't happen very often. And I would say even, even less often in sports. Um, I candidly have, you know, I've had people approach me about jobs. I will say that I've never, uh, I I don't have a resume and I've never interviewed in my 20 years with the Warriors. I have not gone on one job interview. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of people for jobs here, but I've not gone on one uh, job interview. uh, That's hundred percent true. Um, to answer the question in the way you actually intended it, um, I would say, um, you know, I'll say a few things. One, uh, Jerry West was here, you know, the logo as our, as an executive board member and involved in our basketball operations for several years when, when Joe Lacob and Peter Goober, uh, first bought the team. And, um, one of the things he said, I think he stole this from somebody by the way, but he said, if, if you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And, you know, I think it's Aristotle or I don't know who said it initially, but, but, um, it's, it's so true because people ask me, I work a lot. I work a lot of hours. My wife sometimes is not overly impressed by that. Um, and people ask me, how do you do it? And it's like, well, it's, yes, it's work. Like I do get a paycheck and you know, that's, that's a piece of this, but you know, I I enjoy everything I do. Now, do I enjoy, enjoy every single thing I have to do for my job? Maybe not, but do I enjoy coming to work every day and doing what I do? Yeah. The people that I work with, I get to talk basketball all day. I mean, look, I didn't, you know, people ask me, do you have to go to every home game? And I say, no, I get to go to every home game. (laughs) It's two very different things. So I, I, I've missed 21 home games in the last 20 years. I missed zero this year. And then when we got to the playoffs, I went to every home and road playoff game in person. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. And then, you know, when you look, when you start getting into it and you talked about like, how do you grow? I think, you know, you, you find something you love. And then, you know, when Joe and Peter bought the team, which was halfway through my tenure, now it's a little bit less than halfway through. So I've been with Joe and Peter a little bit more than with the prior regime. Uh, you know, obviously that keeps going as time goes on. Um, when they, when they came, everything changed. Um, and you know, when I started here, I was 22. And so you're just trying to figure it all out. And so I didn't really know. I didn't have the same perspective that I, I gained over time, but, um, and my predecessor used to say, there's three things that you need to be a successful sports organization, ownership, ownership, and ownership. And we hit the Powerball. And, and it's so true because everything changed when, when Joe Peter and, and the ownership group bought, bought the team, you know, it went from where we were to like, instantly it was as if it was like, okay, we're going to be the best in the league, best in the world, everything we do. And that's sort of how things started to, and that's on the court, that's off the court. And, and that's just kind of how things started to evolve. And I think part of that was, was being really focused on um, data and analytics, um, just giving you one example. And, and so, 
you know, as this, as this evolution came and there was, there was a lot of turnover throughout the organization when Joe and Peter were making this transition, um, I, I think, you know, that's how my, my mind works, you know, very analytical, data-oriented. And so I think that was one of the things that, that I, I think resonated, you know, that, that, that really was a fit, um, you know, for the organization and quite, quite frankly for me. So, you know, as you get in details on that, but that's, you know, those are some of the things that come to mind when you ask, like, you know, why and how and, you know, why have you been here as long as you have? Do you think you outworked people or you, you know, out like, I don't know what the other analogy would be like. Do you think it was like work ethic? Did you take a smarter approach at things? Did you spend more time building relationships? Like more it, detailed? Yeah. So I, it's hard because I, you know, you, you, I, I'm, I don't want to sit here and like tell you what I, how I'm so great. Right. But so here, here's what I would say, Nick, I, I'm, I'm pretty committed to what I do. So I, I you know, I, I think I, I work hard. It's hard to find somebody who's who's working more hours or, or harder than I am. I hesitate to, to lead with that. I'm, I'm answering because you asked. Because you know what, what we what we work on with the Warriors is like, you know, you, you want to have um, you want. We talk a lot of the world now talks a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's actually something that that we're proud that it's been top of mind for us a lot more than two or three years. Um, we've had a D, D and it used to be DNI now DEI council for seven or eight years, um, and part of that is. You know, you want to have this inclusive culture, and, and you know, people have different things in their life that may allow them to work more or less. You know, you're you're taking care of kids, you're a single father, single mother. There's a lot of different scenarios that people have, and so what we try and focus on is work ethic is is definitely a big piece, but it's not like work the most hours and you win, right? So th- there's a lot of other factors that go into people's opportunities to grow um, within the organization. That that's really important. I think I think um, beyond that, I, I think. Um, there's a couple of things that I talk about, like, you know, I have a lot of, of, um, people that reach out, whether it's on LinkedIn or through connections that, that are, that are trying to break into the sports industry or want to talk about how to grow, whether it's within sports and other ways. And so I'll share a couple of things that I like to, to share with, with, with these folks. W- one is, um, you almost do the next job before you have it. So, you know, like I was in ticket sales with seven other people. If I do what's asked of me, that's great. You know, like I'm not going to lose my job. I'm, it's like getting a C in school, right? You pass the class, but you're not excelling. If you want to have a chance to grow, which, you know, every single person that, that has a job, I think wants to make more money. And the like, that's probably a hundred percent. And the vast majority of people want to grow their career, right? Not, not, there's some people that say I have the perfect job, but most people want to grow. So if you, if you do everything that's asked you, that's great. But if you're intellectually curious, which is a really important trait, and 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 look at ways to add more value, um, not in an overzealous way, but like in my example is ticket sales. Like I'm, I'm I'm there trying to sell tickets, but I'm talking to a lot of people. I might go to my boss or my manager at the time and say, "Look, here's what a, a lot of the objections I'm getting. Have we thought about this package? Or we thought about this price? We, so I'm thinking about ways to to like not just sell more tickets myself, but, but help the organization sell more. So you're, you're kind of being a leader and thinking about ways to make more of a difference. So I think, I think looking for more ways to add value, doing more than what's asked of you, um, I, I think is really important. And then the other one that's, you know, I said a second ago, like everybody wants to make more money. Almost everyone wants to grow their career. I think the way that you go about that varies, right? I think, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of go about their day and they're really focused on themselves. What's best for Brandon Schneider? What's best for Nick Swinburne? And, you know, to some extent, if you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. You know, I think there's a there's an old adage that says that. But I would argue something a little bit different, which is um, if you are focused on always doing what's right for the organization, it sounds really utopian, but if you make yourself as much of an asset as possible, everything that Nick does, like every time we give Nick new responsibility, he knocks it out of the park, right? He's always doing things that positively in fact impact the organization. He's a great leader. Like everything goes well when Nick's involved. We'd be crazy to not give Nick more responsibility, right? Like, so it's, because it's not really, we're not going to, no, it's rare that someone's going to be like, oh, you know what, Nick, we're going to give you a promotion. It's like, because it's right for you. Sure, but it's more about like we're going to give you promotion because it's what's best for the company. So if you can make yourself, you know, as much of an asset as possible, that's how I view it in terms of putting yourself in a position to really grow. What about so you got this ambition, um, you're going above and beyond, you're doing all this work, and you, you kind of referenced it. How do you balance, you know, family life? Like you, you, your wife, your your son, like you're 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 getting up there, and you're like they they already want to see more of you. And you're taking on more responsibility and you're thinking if things go well, I'm going to get even busier and busier. What advice would you give people on that? Because I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, I don't know if I'm the best person to give advice on that one, Nick. <laughs> my, my, my wife would definitely tell you 
uh, that I'm not the right person. So I, I've got I've got a wife and then a five year old son. It you know you, you do the best that you can and and you know you got to sacrifice in some places. So you know it's funny. I um, grew up playing golf, not like every day, but but you know enjoy playing golf. I played golf, so I'm planning a bachelor party right now for my brother, my younger brother, um, and he's a big golfer. Played in college, scratch golfer. So we're, we're going to Pebble Beach and playing some really nice courses, and you know we've got eight or ten guys going. But I'm like, I haven't played golf. I was talking to my wife. I thought it'd been like six or seven years. She said, I don't think you've played golf since we've been married, which by the way, our 10th anniversary is next month. So I went and played this past weekend, by the way, for the first time in 10 years, which wasn't pretty. That's a conversation for another day. Figured I should get a round or two in before I go to, you know, play Pebble Beach. But um, it's just an example of like, you know, I'd like to go play golf, but like, you know, I'm working a lot during the week. Am I really going to go on Saturday and say, see you, Amanda, see you, Tommy. I'll see you in six hours and, you know, go play golf or park in front of the TV and watch every 49ers game like I used to for four hours every Sunday. Like, I don't do those things anymore. Right. And not, I don't, I, I might've said this word a second ago. So I'll, I'll, if I did, I'll retract it. I don't, I don't view it as a sacrifice because I'd rather spend that time with my wife and with my son, uh, than sitting and watching the four, as much as I'd like to watch the 49ers game. And look, at some point soon, I hope he wants to sit and watch the 49ers game with me and, and go play golf with me. And then, you know, then you start to do some of these things, but that, that's what it is. I think you just find your own balance. So for me, what it's, what it's kind of, um, evolved into is I work, I see my son in the morning before he goes to school. I work a lot during the week. I work, I'm at every game. So there's a lot of nights where I don't see him before he goes to bed. So I make sure and spend some time with him in the morning. I see my wife at night. And then I really try and carve out on the weekends. I, I end up working on the weekends a fair amount too, but I try and do that early in the morning, late at night. And so the hours when my, specifically my son, who I see less than my wife, cause he's, he's in bed earlier. Um, uh, times when he's awake, I try and make sure I'm with him as much as I can. We're going to the park or we're going out to brunch or we're whatever he wants to do, you know, going to his soccer games, which, you know, every Sunday from one 30 to two 30, like I'm not doing anything else. I'm going to my son's game. So I'm, I don't have it solved, but you know, you, you, you do your the best that you can. Um, and, and the other thing too, is like trying to like, you know, he, he now just now at five years old is really starting to appreciate going to Warriors games. So as much as I can, you know, intertwine some of the things I'm doing work-wise and, and have he and my wife involved, um, you know, that's really special. It was hard when he was young because I felt like when he was like two or three, when he came to games, I felt selfish because I'm like, he doesn't really, I want him here. He doesn't really want to be here. So we, we didn't do too much of that because it's just, it's just not the right thing. But he now, especially as we got into the playoffs and he, daddy, are we winning the championship? This is like first round. And I'm trying to explain to him, he now knows you got to win four games each round. You got to win four rounds. Um, but he, he really enjoys it. So that's, that's how I've tried to, to tackle that issue. Well, wait till he gets a little bit older. My son's now to the point where we say, remember you used to like doing this? And he's like, no, I didn't, I never liked doing it. You like doing it and you took me with you. And I would tell you, I don't like doing this. And you said, great, let's do it again. So it's, uh, it's funny. So you, you're, you know, you're ambitious. You might, you probably, I mean, I don't know how to gauge ambition, right? But this, you probably would consider yourself, and people consider yourself to be super ambitious. If there was someone more ambitious, it might be Joe, right? I mean, Joe just, I just listened to a podcast the other day where he said, the only thing I'm going to do the rest of my life, I think it was Andre Iguodala's podcast, is win championships. I don't care about anything else. You know, my, my, my kids are growing up. My, I've, I've made my money. My one and only goal the rest of my life is, is to win championships. Um, I don't know if you can share some of the, some of the metrics, right, of the scale that the Warriors are already operating on and the improvements they've made relative to the past or relative to the rest of the league. But now you've put yourself in a position where you've got a, and I don't, is Joe, Joe's the CEO? Joe, yeah, you've yeah, got a CEO, CEO who's, who's, who's yeah, oh, owner, CEO. owner CEO. He's never going to be satisfied, right? So how do you, I mean, it's got to be really exciting for your, for yourself, but how do you, how do you sit back sometimes and think, okay, this thing has, has to keep going and going and going. And there's no opportunity to take a step off the mm -hmm. throttle for a second. Yeah. So I love this, by the way, this is like, you're getting at the essence of who we are and who he is quite frankly, but who, who we all are by extension. So first of all, what you just described for, for everybody listening, like as a sports fan, could you think of a better thing for the, the for the person that owns your favorite sports team to say, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like that is, because the assumption is that every sports team is operated that way. And the reality is that's just not the case. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. I mean, if you could pick anyone to own the Warriors, 
Joe Laka, Peter Goober, and our ownership group is who you would pick. Let me just, as someone who knows it intimately, that's just a fact. And, and the quote you just shared, I mean, epitomizes that. In terms of like what you just said, so what you're saying is exactly right. So Joe's famous for, you know, we win the championship. And this has now happened four times you know, during, during his ownership, stewardship. Um, the next day, he's already talking about next year. And, and Bob Myers might have a different, you know, our president of basketball might have a little different take than me, although I'm, I say that in jest. Um, but it's like, we're, we're always looking forward. Peter Goober's famous line that, that we, we use a lot is this is just the beginning of the beginning. Think about that. Like, it's very basic. But for those listening, like, my guess is you haven't heard that before. I hadn't heard that before, Peter. We now joke with him because we've been talking about this for 10, 12 years. Uh, Peter, when do we get to the middle of the beginning or the beginning of the middle. But the point is, we never will. So like you build Chase Center, you spend all this time to build this arena. I mean, it was $2.1 billion privately financed arena it took us six, seven years from start to finish to plan it and design it and build it. And some people would sit back and go, we did it. We're here. We did it. We have it. And we think of it the complete opposite. Like we now have all this opportunity because we own and operate what we would consider and hope other people consider the best arena in the world. Uh, better be given the given the price tag, or I may not have my job very long. Um, but so that's, I, and I think it what it comes down to, Nick, is I think that there's a lot of people in the world that might be listening and going, yeah, like I need to relax a little bit. Like I don't, you know, I need to like be able to have a job where I accomplished something and we did it right. And we do, we we, we celebrate our wins uh, along the way, but we will always be looking ahead to what's next. And I think you know, as you look at it, like we have a really good team. So if, if we look at our executive team, all of our, you know, our vice presidents and above, if, if we want to draw a line there, um, a lot of these people have other companies and other sports teams that would love to hire them in many way, in many places, uh, probably with bigger job titles than what we offer. And maybe in some cases paying more money than what we pay. Um, and I think that one of the things that makes people want to stay is that they understand that we are always going to be looking ahead. We are, we're never going to be stagnant and we're always going to be looking ahead to new opportunities. And so that translates for them is like, look, I'm going to continue to learn and grow and be involved in other things. I know I can speak for myself that this is part of the excitement for me. Um, and, and so, you know, that starts at the top, you know, that starts with Joe, but, but you, you hit the nail on the head, Nick, like that's, that is who we are. And, if we are hiring and training and cultivating, you know, hiring the right people and cultivating the right culture, that that's really, as opposed to being like exhausting, that's something that actually energizes everybody. Yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I was thinking about it the other day. I think after one of the, one of the calls and I was like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the basketball operations, right? They have to, they have to continue to win championships. You can only, you can't finish better than you did last year. You can only finish worse. Right. But then on the business side of things, it's the same. And I, the business side is, is probably more dominant, I guess, league-wide, right, at what they do at the time, or equally dominant. But the interesting thing about the operations side is they always have a chance until the season's over. So they could start off poorly. They could fall behind. They could have a bad record. They could catch up. They could fall behind in a series. But they can still win it at the end. Whereas with the, the, the operations side, the good news is you can see much more clearly on a daily basis where you're tracking and where you are. But you can all, you know, you can also see on a daily basis exactly where you're tracking and where you are. And so I feel like the, it's much harder for basketball or for, for the uh, not basketball operations for the business side, to as as things continue to scale, it's much harder to say, don't worry, we're going to win this at the end, right? And so it's a, it's it's a more, I just I just I don't know why I was thinking about it. I don't even know if it's an interesting point, but I just remember I was just thinking to myself. That's a lot of that's a lot of pressure on a daily basis, but also a lot more opportunity to correct course and and and, and kind of add things. Uh, who are you competing with? Like, who are the Warriors competing with? Are we just competing with the other NBA teams? Are we competing with the largest media companies in the world? Like, what's the when you guys have your you know you sit down? I don't know if you sit down and talk about these things. Who's the competition? So, from a basketball perspective. And, and for listeners, I think, Nick, when you were just going through what you just said, you, you talked about operations both times, but I think everyone got the gist, like yeah, business basketball, basketball first and then business. Um, from a basketball standpoint, yeah, we're competing with other NBA teams. I, I think that's pretty cut and dry, right? Like there's 29 other teams. We want to win the championship every year. Um, I mean, period. Like that that's the goal. Um, on the business side, it's a little different. Um, so 
we're, I would say a couple of things. We're, we're competing with ourselves, quite frankly. Like, how do we, how do we maximize, how do we continuously maximize the opportunity? And the way we think about that, Nick, and you've heard me say this, um, one of our, one of our objectives, you know, we have, we have annual, um, goals that we put in front of our organization. One that will never change is we're obsessed with creating world-class experiences. So we, we, we are constantly, and, and when you say that people think about the experience at Chase Center and Thrive City, which is a big part of that, but, but the reality is we've got over 60 million social media followers worldwide, more than any, we're, we're top 10 sports teams in the world. The others being European soccer teams in, in terms of reach. And, um, and so 99% of our fans will actually never go to a game at Chase Center. So we also spend a lot of time, um, with, with the digital experience, right? Like how do we, how do we reach our fans worldwide. So we think about experience, it's broad. But when you say like, who are we competing with? I would say ourselves. Like we always want to be the best we can be. But the other way I would look at it, one of Joe's, uh, Joe Lacob's famous lines is Disney started as a theme park and, and, and look what they are now. By the way, it's been pointed out to me that that's not actually exactly true, but I still say it that way. Cause that's what Joe says, but, but the, you get the gist of it. They started in one business and now Disney is this huge empire. And so I think the analogy for us is when you think about the Golden State Warriors, you think about a basketball team. As we transitioned um, to, to being a tenant at Oracle Arena, now Oakland Arena, but Oracle Arena, um, and, and then to, to owning and operating Chase Center, we transitioned from a basketball team to a sports and entertainment company that happens to have a pretty good basketball team as the centerpiece. But that's just the beginning because we're also a real estate company, right? We've got 11 acres at, at uh, Thrive City with... Um, 580,000 square feet of office. Uber's our partner there, world headquarters on our site. We've got 125,000 square feet of, uh, of retail, of restaurants, uh, retail. So we're a real estate company. We're a technology company, both in terms of we have a lot of technology partners and the technology that we implement and test at Chase Center. But you know, we've started investing in technology companies, a company called uh, Buzzer that some listeners may have heard. If you haven't, download the app. Um, not not because we're investors, but it's really interesting. It gives you the opportunity. You get notices when Steph Curry's got 45 points. Click here to watch the end of the game for 99 cents or something like that. Micro payments to watch like big moments in sports. It's a really cool concept. Um, so, you know, there's, I'll give you another example, Sweet Exchange. So we, um, you know, people are pretty familiar with ticket resale. Like when an event sold out, you can go and still go online and buy tickets um, from fans, resale tickets. There's not much of that for suites. So if you're a company or an individual wanting to buy a suite for an event, once they're sold out, they're sold out. By the same token, if you're a company that has a suite for 150 events a year at Chase Center and you can't use some of those events, up till now, there wasn't really a um, an avenue to be able to resell your suite. So we we actually built our own um, suite resale platform. It's called Suite Exchange that we've used at Chase Center the last couple of, well, 1920, the 2019-2020 season before COVID, and then this last year, 21-22. Uh, and we're just starting to talk to other teams about using that. So it's just an example of some of the things that we're starting to get into. So, you know, again, Warriors, Chase Center, Thrive City will always be where we started in the center of what we do. And we really need to keep that like front of mind, like nothing that we, we do can slip, obviously. Like we need to continue to win championships and be obsessed with creating world-class experiences. But we think we have an opportunity to make more of an impact in some of these other areas using the you know, the, the, the brand that we built, the people that we have, um, the expertise and the community that we've, that we've put together. Um, and so that's, that's how I think you're going to see us, um, you know, continue to evolve as we move forward. What lessons, I guess, can you draw from or analogies would you make to, you know, you go through an ownership change, um, and it dramatically changes the culture. It dramatically changes the ambition, which then in turn dramatically increases what's possible. And then, so you're an ambitious organization, independent company, but you're part of a larger group, right? You're part of a league. Um, there's certain areas of the business where um, it may not make sense to a group with ambition why everyone in the group everyone, or the other teams in the league or you know companies in the club, whatever, um, don't share that ambition. There's probably areas where you're like, man, we could do more if we were allowed to. Like, how do you, it kind of feels to me the same as like, being in that company as, you know, being with the Warriors as that changed and kind of having to get over that mindset, having to, you know, they had to weed out the people with that mindset. And then all of a sudden you got a, a group that all believes. Um, and now I would imagine it's, a lot of it's the same, right? The same with the uh, with teams. There's teams with 
whose, whose belief and ambition hasn't kind of kept up with the times. And there's ones showing, wow, there's a lot more possible. And slowly, more and more are, are coming on board. I don't actually know what I'm asking, but you probably understand what I'm asking. Is there anything, any parallels you draw there? And any, what's the biggest, what's the most difficult part of your job of balancing this ambition with some of the, you know, systems in place that you have to work around? Yeah, uh, I did get what you're saying. I, I don't know if you asked a specific question, but I'll, I'll answer it. So by the way, I, I was not going to call you out, but um, I think I'm going to because right. listener, listeners have probably figured this out by now. But Nick Nick knows more about what's going on with the Warriors than than most people, A, because he's a big fan, but he's, I don't know if this is like, no, if all, all listeners know this, but he's he's also one of our uh, he's one of our owners. So Joe Lacob um, and Peter Goober are the are the two kind of operating day to day owners. I talked to Joe and Peter this morning, um, but but Nick's one of several others that are involved. So I, I'm sorry, I'm calling you out, Nick, because all of us are with no uh, with no real input, but definitely enjoy but but enjoy the inside peeks into what's going on, and that's that's really fun been fun for me. I think he's underselling it a little bit, but I'll, but, but I'll keep going. But yeah, so he, I mean, I think people are probably listening going, this guy knows a lot about what's going on with the words. So how, how do you, I'll, now I'll answer your question. So I, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, we're a league, right? So if, if you have 30 teams and if, if all of a sudden some of the teams can't operate or are, can't compete, you know, it makes the league weaker, right? So it, it's kind of weird to think of it that way. Cause as a fan, you're like, we want to crush all these other teams and we feel the same way, but big picture wise, you know, you need the 30 viable teams to be able to have, you know, people to play against, right? I mean, it's, you know, if you look at like the Harlem Globetrotters, like they win every game, like that's a different type of entertainment, right? With the Washington Generals. And and that's fun. But in terms of sports, like, you know, the, the what do they say? It's the ultimate reality TV. Like, why do we all watch sports? And why do we all watch sports live as opposed to DVR, right? Or, or on demand? Because the whole point is like, you, it's, you don't know what's going to happen, right? So, that, so there's a lot to that. But the other thing I would say, Nick, like you're talking about teams operating differently and, and maybe some being more ambitious than others, which I think, you know, almost has to be true, right? I mean, it's just different human beings operating these teams. I, I mean, I think we look at that as a pro for us because we know we're going to work hard to always find competitive advantages. And so we like, we want like, because every team was operating at the same level, you'd win one thirtieth of the championships, right? We don't want to do that. <laughs> we want to win 100% of the championships. So, you know, we're always looking for every competitive advantage on the court, off the court, analytics, how, I mean, there's a million things we could talk about um, to put ourselves in a position to have a better chance than anyone else at winning every year. And, and realistically, you're not going to win every single year, although Joe would probably slap my hand for saying that. Um, but, you know, I think we're always going to look for for ways that we can, you know, little edges here and there uh, to give ourselves a, an advantage over the other teams because that, that's how you're going to win an inordinate amount of the time. I do remember talking to Joe once, maybe after the second championship and being like, you know, I was a lifelong Warriors fan and it never, I always hoped for it, but it never occurred to me that we would become champions. You know, it was like a maybe once in a lifetime kind of Cubs type goal. Right. And then I said to him, man, who would have ever thought? And he just looked at me so puzzled and he just said, we did. And I just remember feeling like, huh. All right. I don't, he looked almost like disgusted with my question. You know, like, how did you, what do you mean? How did you not think that we were going to win a championship? But it was funny. What's, what's one failure you know, it could be big or small that along the way that just haunts you, that just, you still think of every once in a while and you kind of get that, like, I don't know, flex or just like cringe and just think, I wish I could go back and, and undo that. So I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to answer the, I probably shouldn't call myself out. I'm probably not going to answer the question totally directly, but here, here's what I would say to that, Nick. We, um, it's important to us to have the culture that, of taking risks. So Peter Goober would say, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Um, and, and because because if everyone's sitting here going, God, I, I better not make a mistake or, or it's going to be a big thing, like, and I'm going to regret this for a long time, you, you get this atmosphere where people are just going to be risk averse, right? And 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 kind of sitting back and going, let's just keep doing what we're doing. That's working. I don't want to put myself out there. And, and so the reason I'm answering the question that way is because we fail all the time. And I, I don't, I actually don't personally like using that word, but there's a lot of things that we do that don't go as well as we had hoped, right? That don't go how we planned or you do it and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was going to happen. Or, I didn't think about that. And, and so 
culturally, the way we look at it, that's fine as long as we learn from it, right? Like you make the same mistake twice, that's not good. So we're constantly trying things and iterating. So when you say big filler, I mean, there's a million of them, right? Like I could, I mean, I could pull up my calendar and start going through all the things that we've been working on that either failed or didn't go as well as we would have liked. But for us, that's all part of the journey, right? Like, so everything that we, we're going to take big risks um, and, and some things are going to work and some things aren't. And if they work, we're going to keep doing them. And if they're not, we're going to learn from it and either iterate and do something different or just learn for the next time. So that that's an important part of our culture, Nick, is like we want to make sure and, you know, it's something that you have to kind of um, instill in new people when they start. But we want to take risks, calculated risks, by the way. Like it's not just like do whatever. Like, you know, we, we have to we, we definitely have to. And there's certain things like, you know, if we were like we're going to change the way tickets work, like we're going to go, you know what, we're going to make all tickets on the blockchain tomorrow which by the way, could happen. Like I didn't, when we're talking about other businesses, we're very into NFTs and the metaverse, uh, web three, all those things is something people that are smarter than me that work with us are on top of. But like some people talk about blockchain ticketing. So if we just said, we're going to be the first team to do that next year. And we got to opening night and you got to the game and 18,064 people's tickets weren't scanning. And, and we just have a glitch. That kind of failure doesn't really work. <laughs> like, you're right. So you, you got to be, you, you have to be smart and calculated where you take your risks and how calculated your risks are. But having that culture, um, you know, where, where, where failure uh, is going to happen and that's okay um, because we're going to learn from it and continue to get better. That, that's really how we look at it. And you followed a Hall of Famer, right? Like, so you, you were your predecessor, Rick Welts, um, an absolute legend in the NBA. What did you learn from Rick and, and what was it like even internally replacing someone who was at that level and that standard? So it's funny. I'm not joking. As you're saying this, he just texted me. No, I'm not joking. I'm not, I have my phone sitting on the table next to me. Um, so, it, I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate, right? And, and, and we all have mentors, um, you know, and friends, quite frankly, throughout our life. So I, I had the opportunity to work for Rick Welts for the last 10 years. Rick Welts, is in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Rick never played in the NBA. You know, I think he's six feet, uh, not very athletic, at least not anymore. Um, and uh, he would probably get mad at me for that. He's a very athletic guy, but not he did not play in the NBA. But he's in the NBA as a contributor. He he created All-Star Weekend. You know, he worked at the, in the NBA League office, top two or three people, David Stern's right hand for 18 years, and then was the president of the Phoenix Suns for 10 years before he came to the Warriors. And he, he, he did some other things in sports before that, but those are his last three jobs. I got to work directly for him for the last 10 years. What did I learn from him? We would need um, the rest of the day uh, to talk about that. But the short answer is I learned everything from him. Like I watched the way that he did everything, right? So how do you handle every situation as a leader? What's your demeanor? How do you deal with the league office? We were talking about the league. You know, he worked there for a long time. So as you interact with the league and build those relationships, you know, what, what, one of the things I would say, and Rick's to this day a, a mentor and a, and a really good friend, um, but like one of the things that, that helped me a lot is personality-wise, we're very different. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I started in sales, right? I'm, I'm a very type A, and he's more, you know, laid back. I, I say thoughtful, which implies that I'm not thoughtful. I hope people don't think I'm not thoughtful, but, but he really, you know, ha has that different style, which has helped me a lot because you find a little bit more balance. Um, so, I mean, I've. And, 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 and I learned a lot from him, you know, with, with him being purposeful and things that he's kind of instilling in me, but a lot of it, I'm just watching how he handles everything. Like, cause I, you know, part of it is like, you're, you're, you're focused on getting better every single day and you're watching a guy like this, that's been through so many different things and, and, and is like one of those few people that like, you're never going to hear anyone say a negative thing about Rick Waltz. I've never heard, I know a lot of people that know Rick, I've never heard anyone say a negative thing. The second part of your question is like, how does that, how is it following him or, you know, how's that been even internally? You know, it's funny, um, especially initially, even before my job officially started, it was announced April 13th of 2021 and my job officially started July 1st. That was by design. So there's a couple months to, to transition while Rick was still here. Um, and people would always ask me like, those are big shoes to fill. And I'm like, yeah, like those are really big shoes to fill. Nobody is filling those shoes by themselves, but but I and we are really fortunate to have an incredible team both on the court and off the court. And I think collectively, you know, we're well equipped to fill those shoes. And and that's that's really a big testament to Rick because he was obviously a big part of building, you know, the team that we have. Um, and and you know, it's funny as you if you if you were to talk to Joe and Peter, I I I would say that this last year I'm biased has gone well. Obviously, on the court went really well. 
Um, but you know, Rick, and by the way, Rick is still an advisor. I talked to him, you know, we have like a, a biweekly, um, scheduled call and then we interact, you know, he goes to games. He lives in Sacramento with his husband right now. <clears throat> so he, he'll come up for games or down, I guess, as it were. Um, but we, we text and email and, you know, he was so involved in everything we do day to day. It's hard to just be like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. So, so he's still involved help, helping me on the side uh, and helping us on the side, but you know it's it's been a lot and 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 the fact that we've been able to keep things going and on that growth trajectory i think that's the biggest uh compliment you could give him right because he 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 left things and this was all planned right like for him to to move on he built something and and created this transition where we were able to not really miss a beat when he left which which is which is actually pretty incredible as you think about it yeah that is amazing what did you do on the first day? You just strut through the office, or were you? Were you? <laughs> what did you, you say in the mirror? What did you, what'd you say to yourself in the mirror that morning when you were getting ready, first time to come into the office? So I don't know what I said. I don't talk to myself in the mirror, Nick. That might be something that only you do. But, I talk to but here, here, here's what I'll say: I moved. So I used to have the office next door to Rick, and when I moved into the office that I'm sitting in now, which used to be his office, you start to realize, like. My old job, I had, um, you know, I, I had a lot of responsibility and a lot of people that I managed. <clears throat> so you're operating the business. But when you move over one office, as it were, a lot of things change. So you start to realize like, okay, when we, any decision we make, everybody's now looking at me, uh, that we're looking at Rick. Like you don't really, at least I didn't really think about those things, you know, until you have the job. Like I'll give you some examples, like during COVID time, right? We had to decide, you know, we were all working remotely. But we put on, we're a location-based entertainment company. We're not a technology company with people all over the world. So at some point, we got to come back to the office. So how do you decide when that is? How do you decide how many days per week people come in and how that works? How do you decide like early on if you're going to mandate vaccination uh, for your employees? Uh, you know, and, and the, the county of San Francisco, you know, decided some of that for us. But those are just some of the decisions that affected our whole company that in the past, you know, I may have had a voice in talking about, but no one was looking at me once those decisions are made. Those are just like, I think that hopefully that resonates with people listening because we all went through all these things, you know, in the last couple of years, but it's, it's, it's a big change. The other thing I would say too, is I've been here 20 years. So you're working, we have 533 employees, um, as of a week ago. Um, so maybe 534, 535 now. Um, but you know, I've worked with all these people as peers for a lot of years. And all of a sudden now you're the president and they're, they're looking at you a different way. So you're, you're getting used to like, you know, when you have conversations with people, you, you have to have the self-awareness to know that may be received differently than it was, you know, three weeks ago when you had your old job. So it's, there's a lot of nuances that are pretty interesting as you, as you really peel back the onion. All right. And then, and then the other end of the spectrum from the first day, what was it like to be on that stage, that trophy stage, first time as, as team president? I mean, I was looking, I, I got to admit, when I was watching that, I was, I was thinking how cool it is that, that you're up there as much as the players. Like, I was just thinking, holy shit, what a moment. Well, you, I appreciate that. You may be the only person that was thinking that, Nick. Although, I did get a few texts uh, while that was going on. It, that you know, the, the fact that you were wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I was, like, completely fixated on that. I was like, cool. <laughs> Well, by the way, because you're in a car in a convertible outside, and it's 85 degrees out, right? And you're out there for hours and hours and hours. So being up on stage, it's it's like it's hard for this all to sink in. Like when you win it, because you're so busy, right? Doing everything you're doing, you're going to the games, enjoying the games. But when I'm at the game, I'm watching the game. But like, there's a lot of other things going through my mind. So you're going through this whole journey, and it's hard to take the time to sit back and and like have it reflect on what's actually happening. But when you're up on stage and you're seeing Stephen Curry and you're, cause like I said this quickly earlier, I grew up in the Bay area. I've been a warrior. I've lived in the Bay area my whole life, except college. I've been a diehard Warriors fan. My first game was in 1986, 87 season when I was, uh, what was that? Uh, six years old. Um, we beat the New Jersey nets at the time in quadruple overtime, by the way, that's a story for another day, February 1st, February 1st, 1987. Look it up listeners to make sure I have that right. I'm pretty sure I do. Um, was my first in-person Warriors game, but I've been a diehard fan my whole life. So to get to be a part of this and to get to be on stage, you know, and you do the whole thing and we're, I mean, I can tell you one story. We're standing up there taking photos and a few of us were holding up four fingers because we had won four championships with this group. And I was, I was next to Joe Lacob. Joe and I had four fingers up and Steve Kerr was on my, was next to me on the other side. 
And Steve, I think only Joe and I could probably hear him, said, should I put up nine fingers? And because uh, Steve Kerr has won nine championships. And <laughs> I emphatically said, yes, you should, Steve. Um, but, you know, so, so that's going on. And, you know, and you're talking to Clay. Like I, I, I run into Clay Thompson and you're like, Clay, this is unbelievable. Like, congratulations. What a journey. You know, he had 941 days. And he's like, me, what about you? What about... Like Schneider, it's been a long road. You started selling tickets 20 years ago and now look at what you're doing. You know, and then and then right after we got off stage, Draymond Green comes over and says, Br- Brandon Schneider, first year as president, we win the championship. What is, well, how cool is this, right? So you're, you're having these moments, right? And you're up on stage and you're like, this is, you know, the little kid in me is like, this is, this is pretty surreal. Like it kind of goes back to, you know, what, what we said at the beginning, which is, I feel like I've got, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have the, the best job in the world. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. The, um, all right. So last, last question, which is actually three questions. And this is our bonus question. Thank you for everyone who stuck with it. There's probably some fans of other teams out there wondering what they've been doing, listening to this so long. Uh, but I hope you found it interesting. What either, I guess, you know, I, I've, I always say that I got to a point where I can't tell the difference between you know, my business brain and my, and my regular brain, right? Like I'm, whatever I'm doing, I'm looking at it and I'm finding the fun in business and I'm finding the business lessons in fun. So what, what business lesson or just what comes to mind that you can relate to a business perspective from watching, uh, each one, Steph, Clay, and Draymond, like what's the, what's the lesson you've learned from each of them? Team. I mean, if I want to say it in one word, these guys, so these guys, it's, it's team. So doing it for the team as opposed to yourself and just focused on winning. Um, and, and it, and it sounds obvious, but like when you have a, a group of people that, that are collaborating, communicating, right, these are business terms now, but that are working together towards a common goal, it's unbelievable what you can accomplish. I mean, I think John Wooden's quote, and I'm a UCLA guy, so, and Bob Myers also went to UCLA and, and is big on quotes wouldn't be a big one. But I I believe the quote goes, it's amazing what you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. And that's, that's our guys. Like Stephen Curry is a top 10 basketball. I'm biased. Okay. So some, you know, people can argue, but top 10 basketball player of all time. Um, I mean, he's one of the best players we've ever seen. He's changed the game and you watch that guy play. It's not about him for in his mind. Right. Um, I mean, some people say like, he's a better human being than he is a basketball player. That's a, an incredible statement if you think about it, because he is an unbelievable basketball player. So it all starts with him. But then, you know, then you talk about Clay, Draymond, Audrey Godala, and you keep going, Sean Livingston when he was here, and Zaza. And now you start talking about Andrew Wiggins. I mean, we can talk about all the all the players that have been involved in this run, but it's they're all about the team and they're all about winning. So if we all work together, do what's right for the company and focus ourselves towards common goals, I think there's the, the sky's the limit for what you can accomplish. And which, which player, which, which Warriors player at the moment would be the closest to your, their basketball style, be the closest to your, I don't want to say management style, you're just your work style. Who's the, which <laughs> one do you relate to? Oh, wow. Right now in your head, you're like, well, I never miss. Steph never misses. <laughs> You know, I think I think you take something from all of them. I mean, if I said Draymond Green, people would be like, wait, what? By the way, Draymond Green, it's funny I say that. I, uh, Draymond's the one, so I'll take you a quick story. When I started, so when Draymond was a rookie, our, the, the person who ran player development that year, and I should know the year, 10 years ago, it's probably 2012, um, had all the rookies interview someone on the business side of the organization. Draymond Green interviewed me. So um, I've known Draymond Green, we spent an hour together. And then ever since then, like he always he's always a player, you know, cause my, I was like ticket sales. My job wasn't really to interact with the players. Um, and he was the one that I, I got to know the best that was always, you know, uh, pinging me on different things, Brandon, Brandon, like I'd see, you know, down walking around the floor, Hey, what's going on, Brandon? You know, so I've gotten to know Draymond really well. And it's funny cause people see him out on the court and, you know, and, 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 and what, what he does on the court. And, and when you know, Draymond green, he is one of the smartest, um, and, and I, but when I say smart, by the way, I'm talking about like, I think people realize he's got a really high basketball IQ, but off the court, like smartest, um, hardest working, like he's just a, when you know him as a person, 
be in addition to as a basketball player, you just you just know another side of him. You know him better. Like what he does on the court, it's because he might be the most competitive human being that there is, right? Uh, and by the way, Stephen Curry, who has a very different personality than Draymond Green, is also one of the competitive, one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. So you know that's one of the qualities that I think uh, differentiates us. Like you can even go to Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, who are both like you know very laid back personalities when you talk to them in life, but like. You know, you see Steve Kerr on the sideline, he is intense. Like, and so that's something that I think permeates from a leadership perspective. Um, Clay Thompson, like these guys want to win. They're so competitive and everybody channels that in different ways. I probably channel it more like a Draymond Green kind of personality where it's more, I would say, outward than it is with with somebody like Stephen Curry, where, where you know, he feels like this guy, he plays with such joy. But and you you see it at times the competitiveness on the court, um, but I can tell you like all these guys are so competitive, and that's something I learned by the way is like you know how different people channel these things, um, you know in different ways. So I don't know if I I don't think I answered your question directly, but I think you take something from from all of them. Yeah, no, I think that's a great place to end it. I appreciate uh, you coming on. I um, it's been awesome to watch your 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 rise. Um, you know, to the top of the, of the pyramid within the Warriors. Um, and you've stayed, you know, I, the lesson I take from you is I always, whenever we talk afterwards, I always think I should be a little more ambitious and work a little bit harder. And so that's a, that's always been a, been a, been a great lesson for me. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to see where you take it next. And, uh, yeah, hope everyone enjoyed that. If you get a chance, you know, rate, review, subscribe, Tell your friends, if you're not a Warriors fan now, or if you weren't a Warriors fan before, hopefully you are now. If you're a fan of another team, it's not too late. You can join the good side at any given point. So thanks a lot, Brandon. We're looking forward to uh, next season. And uh, you're the first name out of Joe's mouth in a lot of these interviews now. It's, it's insanity. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the kind words. And I agree with your sentiments, by the way. It's not too late to uh, to be a Warriors fan. We... Uh, we appreciate all of our support. We appreciate all of Dub Nation. And, and I appreciate you having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Cool. Awesome. We will talk soon. We'll get that. I need to get you soon in golf before you start uh, practicing again. 